This is the Coming Home Podcast with John Allen. Three, two, one, and welcome everybody to this episode of the Coming Home Podcast with John Allen. I'm talking about uh, a very long-awaited podcast episode here. Here's a gentleman. Uh, I've admired his stand-up comedy from afar. Uh, I actually had a chance to listen to him, and I passed on that chance. We're going to talk about that uh, in this conversation. India James, hi. How you doing? I'm doing good, man. Thank you. That was the best introduction I've gotten all year. Well, it was honest. So, uh, it was honest. <laughs> I no, have, no, it's, that, it's that dickhead from Australia. So that was, that was quite refreshing. <laughs> the meeting of assholes, one from the States, one from Australia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but that was a nice. true that was a true introduction. I have admired your stand up comedy because I, I've seen the things that you've put online. Uh, from time to time. And then I actually was on the same bill as you. I went on first, you went on afterwards. And when I was done, I was so in my head, I was going through my routine and I didn't hear yours. And that, uh, what a shame. What a shame. Yeah, yeah. Ah. yeah you fucked up, man. I know. Fucked up, bro. I know. If, if you get a time machine and you can go back in time and change just one thing throughout your life, <laughs> it should be that. I would change that. Yes, I would. <laughs> Um, you, you have a reputation. First of all, you do your stand up for the most part in English. Yeah, I do. I do it mostly in English because I feel like that's the uh, best way for me to express myself. Although I have, I have gotten some very cheap laughs. Uh, also exploring stand up in Norwegian. And if I do it in Norwegian, then I can, of course, utilize, um, slips with the language, saying things wrong and, yes. Uh, you know, and I think like uh, I do it most in English, but when I do do it in Norwegian, I feel like the crowd almost gives me an extra level of credit just for trying and really giving it a shot in their language. So in that way, you know, the Norwegian crowd are like, oh, fuck, okay, this guy's really trying to do stand up in our language and we're going to give him some uh, <laughs> some props for that. You know, and I... So I wonder sometimes if I'm doing the wrong thing because I do the exact opposite. I let my audience know that I speak fluent Norwegian, but for the next few minutes while I do my stand-up routine, I don't care. I'm going to do it in English. And I wonder if that's a turnoff to some people. Norwegians are a little bit strange when it comes to the language. They'll give you points if you're a foreigner speaking the language, but at the same time, they can be quite critical if you're a foreigner speaking the language but speaking it poorly. I don't know. What's your experience yeah. with that? Look, that's 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 a good point. Um, I, I feel like on stage, maybe it's a little bit different to in normal social settings because yeah. uh, in normal social settings, even when I'm with my friends, uh, especially when I was just learning Norwegian, like they would make fun of me a lot, man. Oh, you sound like a Pakistani. Oh, <laughs> you know, kebabs. You know, they would make a lot of fun of me, like when I was trying to learn the language, uh, it's socially, but maybe that's just friends, man. You know, maybe that's just friends giving you a hard time. Yeah. Yeah. Friends are gonna, yeah. Friends are going to stick it to you in a good natured way. It's, yeah. Um, and so it, it's hard to, 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 to gauge like how people generally receive, uh, foreigners speaking Norwegian when you, you just hang out with a bunch of fucking savages like I do, bro. And th that's why they're my friends, you know, if they weren't giving me shit, <laughs> You know, I have to say, I think I lost the sound. Are you there? Yeah, I think your sound just cut off. I don't hear you anymore. 
There you are. There you are. Yeah, okay. All right. I think you need another roll of black electrical tape. (laughs) Dude, I I, I should just tape the phone to my head. There you go. No, now we have you back. But what what I was uh, what I was wondering about. Let, let me ask you this: um, yeah. How long have you been in Norway? When did you come here? This will be my fourteenth winter. Fourteenth winter. <laughs> you counted in winters, not years, <laughs> but in winters. Yeah. Um, yeah, I do. Now, how how do you how do you feel about being in Norway? Are you well Dude, adjusted? I love it, bro. Yeah. Norway is fucking the shit. This is hundred percent. This is the best country on the planet. Because and if I, I will go to the grave, fucking defending that. You will, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Hands down, hundred percent, the best country on the planet, bro. So if I were to describe you as a happy and successful keyword on successful immigrant to Norway, am I on target or am I missing something? Am I misinterpreting Look, something? Happy no, and successful. I, yeah, I think I think that's very accurate. And you know, whatever your measurements of success are, I feel like happiness is an important part of that. So, just by that definition of happy and successful, I think you nailed it. Well, you uh, uh, you, you definitely have the happy part uh, down. I mean, you you're constantly full of humor. You're always smiling. You know, I don't know what you're doing. You know, when you lay your head on the pillow, but <laughs> from what I see from just your crying. Just... <laughs> Crying tears of despair. You don't sleep on a pillow. You sleep on a sponge to soak up all the tears. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Once the music stops, I'm just standing in the corner, banging my head against the wall. No, but just seeing how you just seeing how you interacted with people that night there in Oslo, you, it seems like you've got a lot of friends. Everybody likes you. All I hear is good things about you. So the happy part is definitely there. Now let's switch over to the successful part. Uh, what are your what what terms have to be met for you to consider yourself a success? Because, it, like you kind of touched on, it's different for everybody. Yeah, look, for, for me, I think um, to to I, I subscribe to this idea, which was you know kind of like uh, maybe like the basis of Western philosophical thought when it comes to happiness is this principle of eudaimonia. It's this principle of living a flourishing life, uh, a happy, flourishing life where you're constantly meeting or rising up to your potential. And so to be successful in that definition and the definition that I subscribe to, I have to always be constantly trying to perfect something that I care about. I I have to be chipping away towards goals. So you are not uh, you're not a stationary type of guy. Your life is in a constant state of development, I would guess. Yeah, yeah, it is, and I'm uh, always thrusting myself into challenges and trying to grow as a you know like as a uh, in every area of my life. I always have a lot of room for improvement. And if I ever thought, oh wow, now you just nailed it. Now you're like the perfect boyfriend or the perfect dad or the perfect comedian that would never make me happy. So I think a lot of the successful part is just always constantly trying to get better at things that I love. You have, uh, besides doing stand up, what else do you do? What, uh, what occupies your day? If I understand correctly, you have a filming business. Yeah, I, uh, I'm a filmmaker. I make a lot of videos. Uh, so I work with like a lot of the biggest brands in Norway. I make a lot of, uh, videos for the internet. What's the name uh, of your company? I, uh, it's called Who Dares Media. There you go. Shout out to Dude, Who Dares. Look, 
Shout out to Hudaz, best videos in Norway. Holla. Hey, um, holla, holla. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, look, the, the, if we're going to talk a little bit about success and what it takes to be successful, um, I actually owe a lot of success to people who influenced me. And so one okay. of those people is uh, an ex-girlfriend. When I first decided to stay in Norway, I, I wasn't happy. I wasn't successful. I was, uh, I was miserable. I was super sad. I, and I felt like I was in this new society and I had so much stacked against me that success was impossible. Okay. And this, this, yeah, it was, it was a very dark time of my life. And I, uh, I had just gotten this girl pregnant. So we'd been together for four or five months and now she was pregnant. And when I met her, I was on my way back to Australia. So I, you know, I stayed wow. because, you know, I wanted to do the right thing, which yeah. was a drastic turn in my life. Sure, sure. And, uh, you know, I was, I was just like some guy that wasn't happy. And uh, I kept on coming up with excuses why uh, I wouldn't succeed and why I would always fail. Like, I don't speak the language. I, I don't know anybody. I don't have any connections here. I don't so know what, what I'm going to do. So what changed your mind then? What made you start turning this into something positive for yourself? one question that she asked me it was just this one question that changed everything. Yeah. She said, if you could do anything, regardless of whether you believe it is possible, what would you do? And I said, I would make videos. Uh -huh. And she said, well, just do that and make them for free. Don't charge anybody. Just make them for making them sake. And then, fuck, man, that's exactly what I did. You know, isn't it really that simple that we as individuals, we just have to decide to brush aside the excuses and the obstacles to our success. And most of those obstacles are self-made. It's not someone else out there trying to trip us up. It's not someone else out there wishing ill will on us. It's our own negative thought process very often. Uh, probably above 90% of the time, our own thought press is what hinders us from achieving the success that we want. So isn't it really as simple as just changing the thought process and getting to work? Yeah, yeah look, you, you, you hit the nail on the head, mate. Like, we're, we're always our own worst enemies. There's nobody that's saying you can't make a video. There's nobody saying you can't fucking do stand-up comedy. It's just all the shit that's in your own head. Absolutely. And I don't even know where that stuff comes from. Subconscious programming, fear of putting yourself out there, whatever it is. But when she asked me that question, and she prefaced it in a way that said, regardless of whether you think it's possible, like what, just what do you want to do? Don't worry about whether it's possible or not. And then I answered the question and then slowly, gradually all the reasons why I thought no for, for a while just started to disappear. So, so why making videos? What, what, where did that dream, that desire to do that come from? Well, the greatest talent that I believe I have or developed or was born with is writing. Uh -huh. So I, I'm a, a natural writer. I love reading. I love writing. I'm very good at writing. I studied English uh, literature at university. And my um, kind of like almost like my calling I've felt for many years was to be a writer. And so when I was studying at university uh, in Australia and then in Norway, I started writing for um, uh, journals and I would start getting things published and then I would, I would get copies of these magazines and these journals and then I would give them to my friends and I would send them to family 
and then they would get them and then two, three, four weeks would go by and I was like, hey, did you read my story? What did you think of my story? Uh-huh. And nobody read them. Oh, like no, 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 well, it's, good, them. Good, it's good to have friends. <laughs> yeah. And you, you know, I, I just, I, 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 it was then that I, and this was about the time that YouTube started becoming popular. Okay. Yeah. So this is like 2007, something like right, that, maybe right. a little around then. Uh-huh. And then I started thinking like, oh, people are reading less, but they're spending more time watching videos. I think this video and YouTube thing is probably going to catch on. So you and had the awareness, said, you had the awareness, I'm sorry to interrupt, but you, you had the awareness and the, and, the, and the flexibility to not cast aside your talent and your desire to express yourself uh, originally through writing, but you just saw a new opportunity and almost a necessity to take up that new opportunity. If you were going to be able to express your art, in other words, from writing to video. Yeah, I had well, to switch it up. And there's not a, not everyone has the presence of mind uh, to do that. No, they 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 might not. So I was I was fortuitous because I yes. would send somebody a a fucking fifteen thousand page story, uh-huh. or I would not fifteen thousand page like a yeah, like a fifteen thousand word whatever it was. Uh-huh. I would send them a big story, and then I would send them a link. To a YouTube video. And then they always said, hey, this is a cool link. This is a cool video. And uh-huh. I kind of said, oh, I'm like doing some A-B testing. Uh-huh. I thought, okay, you you didn't invest in the you know hour or whatever it takes to read the story. Right. But you did invest the three minutes in watching the video. Interesting. So, uh, yeah, but, you know, I, I also was extremely, extremely lucky because I also – grew up in the film industry in Australia. Oh, did so, you? Okay. Parents who yeah. were, were active or? Dude, yeah. My dad was a stunt performer. Oh, really? So, yeah. Oh, so cool. when I was a little boy, that was a fucking a little kid's dream, man. My, so my dad did stunts on, you know, like all the Mad Max movies. Wow. Uh, yeah, dude. All, all these shows that came out of Australia uh, in the 80s and uh, the 90s and stuff like that. Uh-huh. So... Yeah, so he so he used to take me on to set. So he'd take me on to Home and Away, take me on to Neighbors, take me on to music videos, take me to Mad Max. You know, I'd meet Mel Gibson. I would meet um, all these Australian actors. That you you met Mel Gibson when you're growing up. You met Mel yeah, Gibson. Did, how, how old were you when you yeah. met him? Oh, I was young, bro. I must have been like maybe eight, something like that. So this is maybe around, I'm not sure exactly how old you are. Was this maybe around the, 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 the maybe the first or second, uh, um, lethal weapon films or was it later? Yeah. I, th- I, I think it was a little bit before that. I'm not sure. Okay, like yeah. it was uh, mad, mad max beyond Thunderdome. So whatever year that was, I'm guessing it was around, 86, 87, 85, 86, 87. Okay. Around then something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a long time ago. And, uh, so, you know, I, I I would go into set and, uh, I would see the actors preparing. I would see the stunt guys. My dad was very close with all the stunt performers. So we'd always have these stunt guys and actors coming over and hanging out. And I got to watch them planning stunts. You know, they would use my toy cars they would say, okay, here's this car, here's another car. And I got to watch all of this when I was a kid growing up. And I would be on set all the time. And then I, I kind of, I worked a lot in movies, you know, my entire life so, before coming to Norway. So 
then I, I kind of just had this hmm, realization about how you know possible it is to make videos and how right, it is to make right. videos because of my childhood. Yeah. So, so, so these, I, these these early YouTube videos that you were doing, you know, when you were just kind of stepping away from the writing aspect and, 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 and putting that writing into a film format, what kind of material was it? What were these videos and these writings about? Well, so the, the videos were generally, um, uh, it was kind of like interviewing people. It was, uh, uh, filming sketches with my psychology group. We'd make talk shows, things like that. Um, but I was always very focused on having to make money because I had a a pregnant girlfriend at the time. So I wasn't just trying to, um, you know, review things or, you know, have like a regular channel. I always had a commercial application. So you were really, uh, I I need to make cash. Yeah. This wasn't playtime. This was something you were looking to make some money off of. Yeah, man. I had to make money, man. Like I had my, uh, you know, I had to, we, we had to pay rent and I had to, save up cash to, you know, buy like baby clothes and wagons and all that sort of shit. So I really needed this to work. I, uh-huh. I really needed it to work. Uh, and so yeah. And and speaking, I, speaking of women who have us by the balls, who force us uh, through uh, advancement in life, my sweet Snoopy just walked in the door to say hi. Oh, she's hey, sho- Snoopy. Sho- he says hi, Snoopy. She's showing me that she survived her safari. She's been out walking up in the wilderness for the last three hours. So, uh, did you kill anything, oh, damn. Snoop? Did you kill anything? No. Okay. Yep. She's a savage little Norwegian woman. Yeah, I bet, bro. <laughs> so, so you had um, you had a serious focus from day one. Uh, how? When, when did you finally realize that? Hey, I, I can do this, and I am going to make money off of this film thing. When did that, when did it when, hit you that it was, that it was going to work? When the iPhone came out. Okay. Explain. Uh, everybody was watching videos on laptops and things like that, but we all still had flip phones. So then I saw that Facebook started coming out. And then when the iPhone dropped, I was like, Oh shit, look at that screen. Yeah. Oh my God. What year was Facebook that? When did the iPhone, start? when was the first iPhone available? Man, uh, I'm thinking maybe around 2009. Around then, yeah. Maybe around then, yeah. So you so recognize the, it as a medium that would greatly enhance your uh, visibility in the market. Yeah, I just, I think it was actually probably 2007. Okay. I, I, I saw it, I saw it, and I go, wow, look at that screen. Yeah. Imagine if we could watch a video on that screen. Uh-huh. And then 3G dropped, or 4G, or one yeah. of the Gs dropped. Yeah. And then the uh, Facebook was rolling out. Yeah. And then I was like, man, I bet we can make videos, put them on Facebook, and people are going to watch them on their phones. Yes, and I was I was just right there when all that happens, you know, and I was like pushing for it. So I would go to meetings with people. I'll go, look, we can get this video and we can paste the YouTube link onto Facebook, and the people are going to watch it. And it didn't take long, you know, for that to become what it is today. Now, now is so this? I was, yeah. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I, I was just lucky to be at the right place at the right time with the right technology. But that's not just luck. That's also awareness. That's also focus on your, your self-improvement. That's also uh, implementation of a business plan. Um, 
a lot of people get hit with uh, luck, but they don't recognize it because of their own short-sightedness. So you must have had something. You must have had an ambition. You must have had a vision that was also proper in order for you to see that opportunity when it showed up. That's what, that's above and beyond luck. I'm, I'm giving you a compliment, yeah. in other words. Yeah. I, 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 <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I, I, I definitely saw the writing on the wall, you know, and I was in that video space. So like I was just, you know, this guy with a handy cam shooting things by himself, which is what all YouTubers were doing. And I, I know that, uh, brands and marketing people, they always look to what people are doing uh, on social media and then they kind of implement that or copy that. So I was like, Oh shit, I'm in this space now. I'm sure I could do this for cash. Now, now, now were you, were you running all of this yourself or did you have a business partner? Um, how solo was this or was this a group effort in the beginning? in, In the beginning it was just me. So in, in the beginning, it, it was just me by myself. And, uh, you know, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a funny story. So I, before I had that conversation with my girlfriend, I had no idea what I was going to be. And I thought I would be an organizational psychologist. Okay. I thought, I thought, you know what? I, I studied psychology a little bit. I was like, if I get good grades, I can finish my bachelor's degree and then I can apply to BI and do a master's yeah. in organizational psychology. Now, did, did you get and your then, degree? Did you get your, uh, your BA? Pro, yeah. I finished my bachelor. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I finished my bachelor. Okay. So then like, I was like, I was going to put all my chips into studying to be an organizational psychologist. So I'm studying all the time, man. Like I'm studying, I'm coming home. I'm studying. I got the pregnant girlfriend. I'm studying, I'm studying, I'm studying, I'm studying, I'm studying. I'm studying. I'm like, okay, I gotta see if this thing is gonna work. I've started to like do some videos, no money, maybe organize And you know, people are talking to me, oh, you're gonna be a dad, you have to make sure that you should uh, provide for your family. This video thing, you're never gonna get any money out of that. Like, get like a good education, yeah. get a job. So I was like, I, I listened, man. I was like, hey, I got videos and I'm gonna do this other thing. And so uh, there was an exam we had at the end of the year, the psychology we, end of the year, we had one big exam for this course. And if I did well, if I got like an A or a B, I would have the grades to study organizational psychology for two years at BI. Now, at the same time, one day when I was studying at the library, I was surfing online and I saw that there was this fund for people to get 20,000 kroners if you wrote a short film. I was like, fuck it, I'll just write this short film. Okay. Yeah, so so I write this short film in like an hour, right? Because remember, I'm good at writing, I'm fast, I'll just write it. So I write it, I get my friend to translate it, he translates it, I send it in. So then time goes past, I do the exam, I'm really prepared for this exam, I'm really going for this exam. It's an open book exam, three, four hours, man. I'm looking at the book. I'm answering all the questions. Okay. Fuck it. Finish the exam. A month goes by, whatever it is. I get back home and I open the letterbox. Uh-huh. I have two letters, two envelopes. One is from the film fund and one is from the university with my grades. Okay. And the, the, the <laughs> symbolism isn't lost on me. Oh, I go, okay, one, one of these contains <laughs> a key to the future. Which door am I going to step through? Yes. I go, okay, I go, fuck it. Maybe I get both options. Okay, let's, let's open them up. So I go upstairs. I still remember this day very clearly. Nobody's home. It's just me. 
So I open the first letter, and it's my grades, and I got a D oh. in organizational psychology. Oh, I go, fuck! I got a D. I must suck at this subject. That's I'm, I'm. I didn't get in. I'm fucked. That's it. I got the D. And then I saw the other letter, and I opened the other letter, and it said, "Congratulations! Oh. Your film has qualified for twenty thousand kroners support from the Norwegian Film Fund, or whatever the fuck." It was. Wow, yeah, that's like a and classic I, good news, bad news situation. <laughs> bro, you know what I did? I ripped my grades up. I threw them in the trash. I never thought about organizational psychology ever again. And then I just went balls to the wall, a hundred percent with this film thing. Oh, good for you, man. Good for you. Fuck yeah, man. And you so just knew opened, right that, then and there. Dude, it was, it was just like such a sign. It was like, okay, the thing that you thought was safe, but everybody said that you should do, that was like the safe bet that you're not really happy with. You didn't get that. But the risk of the thing that you really wanted, you've got that. And, and so it, it just became like super obvious to me. It was oh, that's so beautiful. clear. That's beautiful. It was, man. It, it was like the clouds parting and the sun shines down on what you're going to be doing for the rest of your life. Man, I'm getting chills just thinking about the moment that must have been for you. Talk about sharpening your focus and, 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 uh, and knowing that you have the right goal and the right focus. Right then and there, it probably hit you like a, like a bolt of lightning. It was, it was a sign. Like it was a real sign from the universe or from whatever that, like what are the odds that both those letters came on the exact same day? Like Damn. nobody sends me letters. I don't get <laughs> shit. Oh. And then I opened that envelope and the two paths of my destiny were Your right future there. was decided right then and there. Wow. It was. And I never looked back, bro. That, I never looked back. Now that film that film that you got, uh, that you had the 20,000, the 20,000 kroner, uh, fund for, uh, is that film yeah. available on YouTube still? Yeah, I think it is. I you think should it try is. and find yeah. it and send me a link. And when I post this episode, man, <laughs> I put it up because I, I think yeah. it would be interesting to see that and then see something more recent and see how you have changed or maybe not changed. I don't know. Uh, Dude, yeah, it would be interesting because that's the thing with artists. You know, I think it's, I definitely see it with myself in my music, in my songwriting. It is, uh, it's a chronicle of my life. It's a chronicle of my observations. Uh, it's, 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 it's a chronicle of my growth to see songs I wrote 20 years ago and look at something I wrote yesterday. It's probably the same thing for you or something similar with your filmmaking, I would assume. Yeah, it is, but it isn't because actually that film that I, that I made that is probably on YouTube still now, that was a real expression of who I am as a person and as an artist. Uh -huh. But as my career, as my career develops, I've just done more and more and more and more and more commercial things. And I'm just like, let, let's just make this, send, send the invoice get some cash. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So in whereas, a way, whereas that thing was honest, that thing was you, that thing didn't have any other intention uh, other than to just express yourself artistically as cleanly, as directly as possible. Yeah, exactly. That was a hundred percent me. Now the projects that I work on, so, so I saw, you know, I've done like four, five, six TV series, things like that. That's a massive collaboration between me, the network, program directors, wow. considering advertisers, uh, cost input, you know, it just becomes this kind of like big corporate, how can we 
structure right. the edit so that the we have a cliffhanger so people want to watch through the ad breaks. So, you know, that so I kind of like, I remember my goal in the beginning was to be able to provide food for my yes. baby. Yeah. So that was, that was always my goal was to commercialize and earn money. So the, the first film was just uh, artistic expression. And so was the second and the third, but then I wasn't, I wasn't making any cash. So I'm just getting, when you get money from these film funds, you're not allowed to make any money. Right. So it's just a, a fund. It's months. just to fund the filming. There's no profit at all. No, there's no profit. So I, I just, you know, I would still, uh, I would be working 12, 14, 15 hours a day on, on this project, but then I would still have to, you know, just eat connected, you know, I like, see. Uh, yeah. <laughs> just still, still no cash coming in. And it was like that for, you know, six months, a year, whatever it was. So, so here, here you are now, uh, you mentioned you're working with, um, you know, different networks, um, and different uh, companies, you know, up, up on the corporate level. Are your projects exclusively in cooperation with Norwegian companies? Or yeah, for the, are you for international? The most part, yes. Okay. Okay. So you've done yeah, things like, so, you've done series like with TV2 or NRK or, or yeah, places yeah, like that. The, yeah, that's correct. They've all been with TV3. So they've all been reality shows all for TV3. TV3. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So you yeah, get to, so, now, so are, are you, I don't, help me understand the structure of your business now. Uh, you, you have employees now, correct? Or people who, with yeah. whom you work. Uh, are you exclusively behind the camera or are you even more behind the scenes at the production level? Talk, walk, walk me through a project that you might have with TV3. So with TV3, I'm usually the producer. So I'm responsible for delivering on what we say we will deliver. So that's okay. my responsibility. Okay. Uh, but look, I can take our last project. So we, we made a show called Cash Day, which was a show that we pitched to TV3, and they really liked it, and then they went for it. So I was given the, uh, the budget to spend to produce the results, and then uh, my uh, team which consists of uh, a director, super talented guy, camera people, uh, stylists, you know, the whole package. Yeah. And I, I spend the money on them and then make sure that we get the product that we were supposed to deliver. So your projects then, or at least this project you're talking about now is, is an investment. It's not that you necessarily get hired in and you're making money from the get go. It's an investment on your end because you have to put up the equipment and the personnel and whatnot. And then the project gets made and then you start reaping the benefits of that. Is that uh, a correct analysis? Sort of, but it's an investment that I know I'm going to get paid for. I see. I see. Yeah. You know, you know what I mean? So it's the not, investment part is when we have the pitch and then do you guys want to buy it? Yeah, we want to buy it. Okay. Let's get that paper. That and sounds then, so exciting uh, to pitch something to, uh, I, I have to tell you, I, um, <clears throat> up through the years, you know, like I said, I, I also do some writing. I have a book I've been working on for years and I just keep putting it to the side. But in that process, I've always been thinking, I would like to pitch this idea for some kind of a show, some sort of production to a company here in Norway. And it's not that I think um, as a person that I think I'm that special, but I do think I have a special idea, a different way of looking at things simply because I'm not Norwegian and I can bring that to the table and make it interesting for them. 
Um, have you found that being Australian is a benefit in the film world? Do you look at things differently than Norwegians? Has, has it, has it benefited you to be the outsider, so to speak? Yes. And no. Okay. Explain. Well, I'll explain the yes. And firstly, that is, uh, I adopted a philosophy about 10 years ago that said that any disadvantage that you think you have mm-hmm. is also an advantage. So then by being a non-Norwegian was an advantage. Yeah. But no, it hasn't given me an advantage in some situations because I, I don't understand the cultural zeitgeist as well. Sometimes I, see, I don't I understand all, all of the context behind some things, which could be, you know, like say for example, there was a very popular show called scum yeah. that came out a few years ago. Uh, you know, I never would have thought of that. No, I never would have like, because I didn't have the upbringing of uh, being a teenager in Norway. So I, I never went to school in Norway. I don't know. I don't know what the fuck that's like. So <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I, I could, you know, I never would have come up with what might arguably be Norway's greatest show in television yeah. history. So, so when, so when you, can. so when you pitch something, um, well, let's let's go back. Can we go back to the first thing that you ever pitched to a Norwegian company? Um, did you feel intimidated? Or did you think, hey, this is a great idea and they're going to realize it once I show it to them? How are you feeling the first time you pitch something? Uh, he's thinking, I, he's thinking, everybody. Yeah. Traveling I, back that uh, lonely road through time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a good question because I, I was thinking because I kind of approached it in a little bit of a different way. Okay. Uh, so, uh, you know, you go back to like 2008 or whatever it was like very, very, very early on when, you know, I had this pregnant girlfriend and this baby on the way and everything was uncertain. I applied for a lot of jobs. Okay. Right. I applied for a ton of jobs. So I'm making videos. I'm studying organizational psychology. I'm applying for tons and tons and tons of jobs, right? 50 applications, hundred applications, so many applications. And I never got anywhere. And they that fucking is a, didn't even call me back. And bro. that is the typical immigrant in Norway experience, regardless of your background or education. It's 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 like walking through hell to get them to even look at your application. Yeah, and I like my friend said, oh, maybe it's because you have a name like Inia, mm-hmm. and they think, oh, where the fuck is this? Some Bangladeshi guy? Is he a Middle Eastern guy? Where, where the fuck is this guy from? And I felt like maybe they are being prejudiced against me because of my name. And these aren't high level jobs either, man. I'm not like talking about, you know, like, uh, you know, being the CEO of like a, a bank or anything. <laughs> right, this right. is pretty, pretty low level, low level entry level positions that, you know, like a 17, 18 year old could do comfortably. Yeah. And so there I am like 26, 27, whatever it was. And I'm not even getting a call back or a, a notice for anything. Right. How do you so keep your I head up? This, How do you keep your chin up during all that? Well, it was it was tough, you know. And this was when I kind of was in this place of despair. That's right. Uh, you said that. You know? Yeah. 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 So th- these were the dark days, man, where everything was going wrong. And uh, you know, like I said, I had this baby on the way. I got no money. I'm gonna pay rent. I got all this sort of shit. My life is just. I'm in this new country. I got to figure it all out, man. So I had the weight of the world on my shoulders, and it was beginning to crush me. Yeah. So yeah. 
so I had, I had these experiences, right, with these companies that still exist today. And uh, I got this kind of like a little bit of a chip on my shoulder. And then I started making videos. And then I said to myself, you know what? Every single one of those companies that I sent an application to, I'm going to make videos for them. Okay. And then I'm, and then I'm going to charge them an extra 25%. <laughs> and I'm going to try to get as much money. And that's for you guys <laughs> never calling me back. <laughs> there you go. Hey, and John, I fucking did it. I did it. I did it. So I worked really, really, really hard to try to be in a position of value to these companies that initially thought I had no value at all. So I I just wanted to show them. Now, what kind of videos for these companies? Was it like um, commercials or adverts, as you may say? Do they say adverts? Adverts in in Australia. Adverts. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we, we, they're like adverts or commercials. Commercials. And they're all like, you, you, this was all like in a time where what is an ad started becoming blurry. So like, you know, uh, when we grew up as kids, you're watching an ad on TV. It's 30 seconds. Like you're watching yeah. your show. You're like, ah, oh, fuck this three minute ad break. <laughs> but like in 2010, 2011, 2012, what became an ad started looking more like entertainment. I see. Yeah. You know? That's true. Like yeah. you took, you like t- today you're watching something you go fuck that was sick and then you go oh shit that was actually an ad for Reebok <laughs> yeah so I see that so, all the time so I, it's 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 almost like a little film like a uh, like a teaser for a film and then at the very end if you're watching closely you'll figure out what the product actually was <laughs> yeah exactly and I think that's kind of cool I think that's what's good about making videos these days is it that catches the eye it catches the eye and my my approach especially back then to making a video was just, I just really cared about the viewer. I really cared about the viewer because I really wanted the viewer to enjoy what they were watching. Oh, and by the way, it's paid for by this company. So that was my approach. I like it that you turn that adversity or that those rejections and you went back and says, okay, you don't want to hire me. Now you're going to rent my services and you're going to pay me an exorbitant amount of some sort of yeah. corporate. Th- I, I love it, man. Good for you. Good yeah, for you. I actually, yeah. So, you know, I actually ended up working very closely with many of these brands, with people in the top positions, you know, with, with the CEOs, with the marketing directors, yeah. Yeah. With the founders, with the entrepreneurs, with all of these people. And what I discovered was these people at the top, they're not dealing with the fucking applications. It's, it's not these people that like, they, they don't know what the fuck's going on. They're not looking at a stack of CVs. No, no. It, it, it's just some, uh, you know, person in uh, a recruitment agency. Or right. Like, you don't even fucking meet these people. They're not even in yeah, the buildings. Right. So, well, so, so how so, do you get access then? How do you get access to those people at the top, those people who make decisions? Um, t- talk a little bit about that. Man, I was just very good at what I did. Oh, you just, just so you just pick up the phone. Not, you just pick up the phone. You look up their number uh, to the company, and you say, "I want to talk to the boss." No, I wasn't actually like that. No, it, it was. It, 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 I often. Well, I I did a lot of music videos. Okay, because I, I started to understand that like people in advertising are copying what they think is cool. Yes, and what is cool is what artists are doing. And what artists are doing is making cool music. And what I can do is make videos for that cool music. Yeah. 
So then I started like making music videos. And I made fucking heaps of music videos. And I teamed up with another guy called Frederick Esnault, who was like the music video prince. At I've that heard time. that name. He was like, I, yes, I've heard that name. Dude, he's a killer. He's one of my best friends. Oh, I love him. Wow, that's pretty and, cool. And back, dude, it was super cool. And, you know, back then he was like, he was the guy. He was the dude. And then, you know, me and him just started becoming friends and working together. And then I was doing tons of music videos. He was doing tons of music videos. And then I had a body of work to show people uh-huh. who respected the artists. That's right. Okay. And who respected the videos. Yeah. So it's very difficult for you to just call somebody in a marketing position and say, can I get a meeting? Oh, I've done nothing. But if you call somebody you know, in a marketing position, you say, hey, can I get a meeting? These are all the videos I've done. Uh, these are all the artists I've done videos for. Here's a link, 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 link. And then <laughs> yeah. you're undeniable. Like, oh, shit, these are good. These are good, cool videos. You know, this kind of matches up with something that someone uh, was telling me just a few days ago. Um, it's, it's no secret. You know, I, I love doing my podcast, but it's no secret to anyone who's been listening that I want this podcast to be even bigger, uh, maybe even go into a more uh, of a traditional radio format. And someone told me that it might be as simple as me plucking out, um, you know, little snippets <clears throat> from conversations with my guests Um pull in also some uh, some video of my appearances on the news pull out some uh, audio from some of my radio appearances and send that to someone send it to NRK or send it to TV2 and say hey i have a concept i'd like to pitch to you here's what i can do can we talk about how i can apply this to your company so it might be so easy as just having as you say having that body of work and then daring to present it to someone and say hey what can we do is that pretty much how you looked at it then with your, with your videos? Yeah, basically. Yeah. That's really I all it is, so. isn't it? Just having the body yeah. work and then the guts to present it to someone and ask, what can we do? What can we do for your company? Well, I, I would agree that with everything that you said, ex- except I would change the ending a little bit. Like the, what can we do for your company thing? And this is just my personal philosophy. Uh, <clears throat> So I, I, when I'm approaching a pitch, I, I look at the pitch as like you can either be a mirror and try to reflect what you think that they want, or you can be a window where they can look through the window and see the view that you are painting them. Interesting. And, yeah, exactly. So I often be like, hey, look what I can do for you guys. Check out this new approach that you've never seen. I think it's going to be awesome. Are you down or not? Yeah. So yeah. That, that's that's how I approach things. And every time I pitch something, I believe in it like 110%. Like so I you're not really sitting, believe in it. So the pitch in the pitch process, you don't believe in putting a question mark at the end of that pitch. You believe in putting an exclamation point at the end of that pitch. In other words, do you like this? Is this what you want? Or saying, Hey, this is what I feel I can do. I'm like, Hey, this is fucking awesome. There you go. And if you guys want to get on board with this, yeah. like, let me know because we can do it together. Yeah. Are you down? That's inspiring. Or- That's inspiring yeah. to me. But I, I think I think that's how it is, man. Like, let's just say, like, if you hire a, a plumber to come and – this might not be the best example. But if you hire a plumber to come and <laughs> fix your toilet, goes, what pipe should I – do you want me to use this pipe? 
Should right. I use that pipe? Right. Should I use this pipe? And you, you want that plumber. Goes, hey, this is the best pipe. There you go. You want that plumber to be sure of his product. You want that plumber to tell you, here's what I'm going to do and here's why it's good for you. Exactly. Exactly. Because that plumber knows what pipe is going to be the best. You know, you're going to be like, every time you flush that toilet, you're going to be like, damn, he recommended the best pipe. That's a fucking awesome pipe. Now, you, you, uh, <laughs> now it sounds like it's, this sounds like some very uh, intriguing, complex, um, uh, time consuming pro uh, projects. How in the world do you have time to goof off with me for an hour or so here? Well, it's, it's, this is this is how I like spending my time, man. I'm like I, I like talking to people and being with people who I enjoy, and uh, you know, like I have time because this is what I want to do, bro. I, I everything else. I'm I'm honored that you're doing it, man. I'll, I've I have learned more than I thought I was going to learn already, and we're not even done yet. But I have already learned more than I thought man, I was going I'm, to. You're you're I'm you're you're, you're deeper to, you're deeper than I thought. Yeah, I, I, I try, bro. You know, I have, uh, I have, uh, you know, a few, I just have a lot of experience with failure, I guess. And so I know what doesn't work. And then I just go towards what I think works. So I guess, I guess that's, that's all we can do. Is. That's all we can do. You know, yeah. Everything yeah, just yeah, starts with sure. a simple idea. Hey, what if I dot, 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 right. And then we just build on that and put it into reality. Yeah, man. But what do you, do you want to make this kind of podcast, but just for a radio station? Like what's your, well, let me, let me you, go back. I've, I've told this story on previous uh, podcast episodes, <clears throat> but if we go back maybe five or six years, I had people, my wife, some friends and family telling me that I should uh, look into podcasting or look into uh, some kind of a radio thing. And I laughed it off. It, it wasn't anything that interested me. Uh, other than it was maybe around 10 years ago that I started listening to Bill Burr's podcast and Joe Rogan. And I just thought it was cool that you could just get a microphone and talk, talk shit for hours and people would listen. I, th I thought that was pretty cool, but it was, it didn't really interest me to do, you know, it didn't interest me as a thing to do. So, so people had been telling me for years that I should do it. They like my voice or they think I have, you know, interesting things to say. And I know interesting people. And then it was in November of last year, uh, a little over a year ago, it, when my son died, my son died from a heroin overdose and it crushed me. And I got quite depressed as one does when your son dies of a heroin overdose. And as I started to barely begin to climb out of that depression, I started thinking, I need to find something new to focus on. Uh, otherwise, I'm going to fall right back down in this depression. And yeah. my wife, my wonderful Snoopy, as I call her, said, why don't you do a podcast? Why don't you stop screwing around and do a podcast? I've been telling you for years you should do it. Why don't you just do it? So I did. <laughs> and and the podcast turned into this thing where, uh, you know, it demands a lot of focus. You know, I have to prepare, you know, for what guests I'm going to have on, you know, a little bit of research into their background. And I'm meeting very interesting people, people who are saying things and doing things that inspire the hell out of me. And it's hard to be depressed when you're inspired. <laughs> You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so there's yeah, a selfish, yeah. there's a selfish reason for me doing this, this uh, podcast. 
And then in the, in the process, you know, after a few episodes, I started to think, man, I, not only is this good for me, but I'm genuinely interested in it. I'm having a lot of fun. How can I make this bigger? How can I make some money off of this? And how can I make it bigger? How can I turn this into, uh, you know, the number one thing that I do in my life? So that's where I am right now. What can I do to expand this thing? How can I get it into, uh, you know, I know, for example, NRK here in Norway, they have all kinds of podcasts that, that fall under the NRK umbrella. Um, none of them are by black Americans speaking English, <laughs> but that mm. might be a good thing for them. There's an audience for that, I would think. Yeah, um, for sure. You know, so that's that's where I am right now. I'm in that the middle of that thought process on how do I, you know, back to that good word for this episode, pitch. How do I pitch this thing to take it a step further? So that's why what you're saying right now, and, and I never thought we were going to be talking about this, but just the fact that you have to pitch things and you've had to, you know, develop ideas and present them, man, that just falls right in line with where I am right now mentally. Yeah, well, uh, uh, I hope uh, you you do pitch it, and I hope it goes Oh, ahead. I'm going to. Oh, absolutely. I'm going uh, to. Yeah. It's, a, it's a matter of formulating it properly because that pitch, I, you know, I, I would imagine if you pitch something and uh, they think it's terrible, then no matter what you try to pitch after that, you're, it's an uphill battle. So I want to make that initial pitch be as good as it possibly can. The only thing I'm, I'm wondering what they may think is my longevity. Now, this would be episode number 88, and I mm. started in... Um, March, March of this year. So that's pretty productive, actually. Yeah, that's what's that like two a week, something like that. Two to three. Maybe I think more. I'm at three point something per week, something like that. Average length is around an hour and a half. So yeah, that's good, man. I, I think it's pretty good. I, I think there. I think that's something that is pitchable as far as my stick to itiveness, but the longevity issue might be a stickler. You know, it hasn't even been a full year yet. Yeah, I see your point. I see your point. I, I, I guess, though, like, uh, whether NRK or anybody else picks it up, you're still going to be doing it. Oh, absolutely. I'm, st- I'm, I'm never going to quit. I mean, this is this is what I will be doing for the rest of my life, as long as my voice holds up, because I'm having too well, much Well, it looks fun. like you enjoy it, bro, which is awesome. Oh, I love, love it. it. I love it. Like I said, yeah, okay. it's, it's put me in contact with some people that I otherwise never would have gotten to speak to. I still, no, I'm a, I'm a diehard Neil Young fan and I love his band Crazy Horse. And I got the drummer yeah. for Crazy Horse, Ralph Molino. And I, I still can't believe that I did that. So it's little experiences like that, that whether, whether anybody else picks up on it and, and help and whether it's a, a, a conduit to something bigger for my podcast or not, I still have that experience. So uh, as long as I can get experiences like that, I'm going to keep doing it. Ah, that's good. Hey, I've got a question for you. Sure. Uh, is your wife's or golf? Is it wife or wife, girlfriend? Wife. Wife. Do, do you is she? Do you call her Snoopy because she's uh, like a, a, a Snoop Dogg? Because she looks like or? a dog. Because she looks like no. I call I call her Snoopy. <laughs> I call her Snoopy because you know the um, you know the the word in Norwegian uh, if they have like if they want to call a girl. Uh, sweetheart or baby or something like that. They call her what? Snoopa. S-N-U-P-P-A. Snoopa. Now, if we go back to when I first met my wife, this was back in 1996, 97, 98, somewhere around there. She came to Chicago to visit uh, a friend of ours, uh, Miss Hagen Nielsen, a Norwegian woman who had moved to Chicago 
And I met Hague, and Hague had always told me about, yeah, my friend, you got you to meet my friend when she comes. And I didn't really care about her friend. I just wasn't, I wasn't ready for that. But I remember my wife came into the gym where Hague and I were working out, and Hague shouts out across the gym, oh, hi, Snoopa, welcome in. And I heard that okay. word Snoopa and me being the idiot that I am. So when I walk up to my wife to introduce myself, I'm like, yeah, hi, my name's John Allen. Nice to meet you, Snoopy. And I've been called, and I knew it wasn't Snoopy, but but yeah, I didn't understand Norwegian at the time, so I'm just playing with the language. So I've I've called her Snoopy literally from day one when I first met her. Ah, oh, okay, <laughs> nice. That's a cute story. I think so. Oh, how does she call you? I'm sorry. What does she call you? Black motherfucker. <laughs> no, no, she. <laughs> <laughs> no, she uh actually when I think <laughs> when I think about it she rarely calls me by my name. It's always sweetheart or uh she calls me Mr. Reese. Hi Mr. Reese. Mr. She calls Reese. me all the time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So 50 shades of 50 shades of gray shit. Go on. Hey, hey. Hey. But you, you know, like, well, you do have a very good voice. You know, you do. It's like you have this kind of golden, silky, good bass kind of, uh, you know, like well, thank really you. hypnotizing. I got you a know, good, I got a good mic. I tell people I have a good microphone. That helps. <laughs> Dude, man, maybe like, you know, if you like, you should maybe start an app where you just like read sexual fantasies. Hey, and hey. is going to be listening. You know uh, what? You know what? Let me go. Let me, yeah, let me touch on that a little bit. Um, uh, now, my, my good friend, Tiffany Troutman, I, we, we do the Tiffy Tuesday series. So she's been on here and she, she, she told me that I should go on, I should start another YouTube channel and do, uh, what do you call that? Is it a AMSR, ASMR, whatever that is, where people are talking yeah, and yeah. Real, cl real close to the mic. And, and, and she told me I should do that. But since then, I've been thinking exactly what you said. I should, right. I didn't think of an app, but I was thinking on, on, um, uh, on YouTube that I should write like some nasty, dirty, sweaty, sexual, and just read that maybe with some nice yeah. soft music in the background and, and some sort of, uh, you know, kaleidoscope of colors for the screen, not my face, but just my voice, these colors and a little bit of music and just read some nasty, filthy, uh, sexual thing. Dude, let, let's, let's try it out. Hey, let's you know, try it out. Why, why I have you, those why thoughts. I have, like, huh? Let, let, let's make a preview for that app. Okay. Why don't you say okay. something? Why don't you say something like, "I'm okay. gonna lick your asshole," and then come. <laughs> okay. okay, here we go. Let's see what, what, what can I come up with on the fly. Um, okay, yeah, uh, young Stacy. Young Stacy was walking uh, through the fields, thinking deeply about the stable boy, Black Buck from Buckshire. Her family, her family has, has generations of wealth. Could she actually put herself in a situation to lose that wealth by having the sexual relations that she fantasized about with Black Buck from Berkshire? We know her father, if he found out, would write her out of the will. Now we fast forward to chapter 10. Black, yeah, Buck, chapter 10. Black Buck laying on top of, uh, what did I say your name was? Stacy, laying on top of Stacy. In all of his black virilness, sweating, breathing, thrusting. <laughs> hey, but you know, yeah, now that's on the fly. But if I were to write like a real, a real storyline, 
Yeah, and you have to do dirtier too. You got to get to the. You got to get to the. <laughs> more thrusting. More balls in the asshole. <laughs> and just you know what I mean. Oh. You did it. You're too classy, bro. You got to like. You got to have like. You know like. <laughs> chicks all just. So, I, so I'm like at the edge of the filth. I need to roll in the filth. Is what you're saying. Oh. Filth, man. Like, it's too classy. Listen, chicks are gonna. This, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna we're gonna launch the app. We're gonna have uh, Sunday sex sessions with Big John. Sunday sex and, sessions. Yeah, every straight from Sunday church, night. straight from the altar to the bedroom. They're gonna be hot, Therese. And uh, you're gonna they're gonna play the app, and all these chicks that are stuck at home. Because of the because of the virus, and that I'm going to be able to go on dates. You're going to be the boyfriend in the ear that they never had. So, so if it's on, if it's on an app, if it's on, if, if it's if it's on an app, then then we have to determine what is the length of each episode. How much should we Just, give them per episode? You know, each look, episode look, being a, each episode being a chapter or a scene in this in this uh, hot steamy story of sexual uh, lust. Yeah, I I think a new fantasy every week. A new fantasy once a week. Yeah, yeah, yeah I week. think so. Maybe 15, 20 minutes, and you'll build up a library of fantasies. But there's a book. Maybe you've heard of this book. There's a book called My Secret Garden, and it was written in the seventies uh, by a woman who went around and interviewed hundreds of thousands of women about their sexual fantasies. Uh-huh. He cataloged all of those sexual fantasies into all of these different groups. So, like, one of the group was, like, sex with a st- stranger, the beast, wow. um, you know, like, fantasy, whatever there are. So, there's, like, I can't remember how many it was. There's maybe, like, 12 broad categories of fantasies. Yeah. So, you got to try to, like, appeal to that audience. You know, maybe we could divide the app into chapters based on different <laughs> fantasy parts. Well, you got to introduce oh, me yeah. to. You have to introduce me to somebody who can make an app. I have no idea how that stuff works. <laughs> I have no idea either. But I think we're onto something. We, we're gonna sell it into NRK. It's you know, NRK I, fuck up. I think something like that would would sell. Um, yeah, I don't know that I would have the proper voice for it. You know, people say they like my voice. I'm just talking. I don't know if that would Bro, actually sell. You got the best voice for it, man. I've come three times already just in this conversation. <laughs> well, there you go. That's a, com- that's a confidence booster. No, but I, I, I think I remember way back, this was like in the 70s, I was a pretty young guy, and I would see these books laying around, um, assuming it was my mother, I doubt my father was reading them, but these books that were written maybe in the late 60s, early 70s, it was a series of books called uh, the Saber Hill series, it was this slave plantation down in, I don't know, in, in Louisiana or something. Uh, and, and one of the names of that book, that story was, uh, the slaves of Saber Hill. And through that entire novel, all it was, was all of these white women. I think like, the, like the lady of the plantation and her daughters having sex with all of the slaves. And right? uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. So for those of you who are listening, just, just go on the net and type in the slaves of Saber Hill and you'll see some of those book covers and it's the it, on the cover it'll be like a, a white lady you know down on the ground like in this this position of half fear and half expectation and a big muscular sweaty black slave standing over her and then in the background and this was always i thought it was hilarious in the background you would see the slave master the white guy with this total look of dejection on his face <laughs> yes. and it and, and that's basically what all those stories were about wow but that sounds like what cuck holding is today 
That's exactly what it is. That's exactly Dude. what it is. Check out the Saber Hill series of books written sometime in the late 60s, early 70s, I would assume. Damn, yeah, because there's like an entire category on Pornhub. Oh, there's an entire menu on Pornhub. Cock holding. Yeah. Yeah, and black cock holding, <laughs> where there's like a, a white guy who just lets his, I there think there's go. a channel called Blacked. And there's like five. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, yeah, you know what yeah, I'm talking about. Yeah. And those poor and yeah. and they try to find, they try to find, they try to find the youngest. And they're nine times out of ten blonde, uh, white women. They try to find the youngest, probably barely legal, the most submissive looking, and then the total opposite for the black guy. Some huge, you know, six foot five, you know, two hundred and twenty five pound muscular bodybuilding type. Yeah, who, dude, who sweats the constantly husband, the, and then the husband the hu in the background and uh just watching and they're just being like super mean to him and he, you know oh i talk about i talk about that kind of stuff in my stand-up routine and it uh it's it's pretty amusing to see the reaction to i mean you literally can divide the reaction between the men and the women the men in the crowd when i touch on those kind of things some of them get <laughs> visibly angry visibly angry uh some of them are extremely embarrassed and then you look at yeah. the women and some of them are like nodding enthusiastically like yeah exactly yeah you know <laughs> you tapped into something tapped into something there oh boy but i i joke because i love i joke because i love i'm not trying yeah, to hurt anybody yeah. but i'm not i don't feel too bad if someone does get hurt because of my comedy but i'm not trying to hurt anyone no exactly it's it's all in uh it's all in good humor you're a pretty cheeky but guy I, on stage, I've heard. You, you're you not afraid to touch on some subjects now, is my understanding of yeah, you. Yeah, I'm still trying to find my voice with when it comes to stand-up. It's only yeah. a you know, relatively new hobby, yeah. two, two years or something. Yeah. So I'm still like just, you know, I, I, I go down a lot of dark alleys, man, yeah. a lot of blind. And I'm just trying trying on like a bunch of shit. So well, know, that's the artist. Like, that's the artist in you. Yeah. 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 So, you know, like, I'm still a total white belt when it comes to comedy. So <clears throat> I feel like now is the chance to just to see what you can do. Like, what can I get away with? Oh, couldn't get away with that joke. Oh, don't <laughs> say that on stage again. And look, I've, I've crashed and burned because some audiences are very uh, politically correct, very woke. And I've made the mistake of not judging my audience correctly. And I've tried some material that has gone extremely well in some places, yes. but then with a more kind of like, uh, yeah, politically correct crowd. I have experienced that as well. Yeah. I've, I, so. I've done a couple of, uh, because I'm still, I'm so new at it. I'm still trying to put together a solid hour. I want to film an hour special solo special. I want to do that so bad. So I'm still in the process of putting together that hour. So, so for the most part, I've constantly been trying out new material. Now, I've done bits, uh, you know, I've done like 15 minutes in Oslo a couple of times and it killed. And I bring that exact same material back to, to Drummond and people are staring at me and scratching their heads. Like, what the heck are you talking about? So it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it, yeah, it's a strange thing. Crowds can vary quite, quite drastically. I feel like I almost need to kind of get a sense of the crowd that I'm working with before I delve into certain material. Or should you be I, fearless and just do your material? I'm kind of thinking that's yeah. where, that's where I am. I'm not changing. I mean, I'm, I'm noting, I note the difference in the crowd afterwards, you know, the different responses, but I have not tempered myself in the slightest bit. I'm still doing what I do. 
I don't know if that's right or wrong, but uh, I don't. I don't think there is any right or wrong. I think there's just whatever you feel like doing when yeah, you're standing yeah. up on that stage. But for me, I have to be. I think I want to make sure that I succeed in my pursuit of making the audience laugh and have a good time. Yeah. And uh, I've done material, you know, where like the guys have liked it, but girls hate it. And I'm yeah. like, oh shit, these chicks in the front row, they're fucking, they're standing up and leaving. Yeah. Like they, they oh really? Have you had walkouts? Yeah, man. I've had, fucking, yeah, I've had walkouts, bro. Wow. Uh, then, then I go, oh, maybe this material is like just okay. locked from material. Maybe you're not taking into consideration like a, a younger female audience. And maybe they're feeling uncomfortable with some of the things that you're discussing. Right. Maybe they don't like you. Or maybe your uh, onstage presence isn't playful and charming enough where they're not understanding that this is just all jokes, but they feel yeah. like you're just some ass who means all yeah. of this shit. So, you know, these are all of the things that we have to grapple with as comedians. Sure, and sure. your strategy and my strategy might be totally different depending on our performative styles. I guess I, I, I look to people who I see as comedic heroes, um, the one who is, you know, the, the current, the most active one currently for me is Bill Burr. And that guy's fearless. He thrives off people not liking him. Yeah, that's <laughs> he, true. He, yeah. he thrives after, you know, he'll go up there and, and if you know Bill Burr, you know, it's, he's just kidding, but you can also understand quite easily why uh, a feminist, for example, would hate his material. But Bill loves that that feminist hates his material, and he just <laughs> he just loops it back into his his material. He feeds yeah. off of he's like uh, yeah he's like the the emperor in the Star Wars uh, films that feeds off of hate and fear. <laughs> That's Bill Burr. He feeds off of that yeah. and just recycles it through his material. That, that I admire yeah. that. I admire that. I do too. Uh, he's also like a comedy veteran. Yes. So he's also like he's so deep in the game. Oh yeah. So- Yep. With his voice, so just an absolute master of his art. Yeah, this guy so, found his voice. You could say he found his voice way back around two thousand three, two thousand four. He knew who he was and what he was going to do, and that's what he's been doing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you know, like I said, I'm still kind of a rookie. I'm still just exploring how to. I'm still, man. I'm I'm just like <laughs> the guy in the dark looking for the switch. Well, what, what is it that brought you to, to stand up? What made you want to give it a try? Yeah, well, I you know, I started, well, okay, so after I did videos, I was kind of uncomfortable doing videos in the beginning, and then I got yeah. really comfortable, and then I, I kind of like got to a level of mastery after six or seven years, and I wasn't getting that same thrill out of doing a video anymore. I've done okay. thousands of them. Yeah. So then I wanted to start something which challenged me and which was, I look at skills that I want to pursue as like uh, Mount Everest of knowledge. And I love standing at base camp looking up and I can't even see the peak. That's yeah. how high. Yeah. And so I, I needed a new Mount Everest to climb. And then I, uh, I discovered Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Ah, I, Okay. Yeah. So I did Brazilian jiu-jitsu for about four or five years, and that was very nerve-wracking in the beginning. <laughs> and then after four or five years, I got very comfortable with it. It was normal. It was a part of my routine. And even though I, I loved it, it still wasn't giving me that 
I can see the top of the mountain. I can see it. Okay, now I'm a blue belt. Probably be a purple belt soon. A few more years, black belt. Okay, I'm there. And then I was like, I need something new. I need something else. I need a new mountain. I need to be scared. And, uh, you know, one of the things that kind of terrified me was uh, the idea of standing on stage and telling jokes by myself and getting that instant feedback. Yeah. So I, uh, I, I needed something new to challenge me and to scare me. And comedy was different to filmmaking. It was different to jujitsu. I remember I'm very, very, I'm very good at writing. So I knew that like half of comedy was writing and the sure. other half was, you know, having the balls to perform and step up and uh, deliver yeah. the material in a performance. So, so you're that's, a, that's what Bob actually. So you're a seeker of challenges. I am. I, we, I that, we have that in common. That we have that in common, you and I. Yeah, dude, I, I'm, I, I thrive under pressure and in chaos. Like, I am built for the apocalypse. Like, <laughs> I love it. It's true. Yeah, man. Like, when thing, when it's, you know, what's that saying? Like, smooth seas never made a good sailor. Right, right. So to, like, to, bring it, to bring it full circle, you started out by talking about uh, Mad Max movies. So you would actually do well in a Mad Max type of world. That's it. Ah, see how I did that? Put there? me in the Thunderdome. See how I did that there? <laughs> very clever, John. Very clever. I'll take I a pat like on the, the back. Any, I'll take a pat on the back anywhere I can get it. <laughs> Dude, you got a pat on the back from me, mate. <laughs> hey, listen, one, one thing I want to ask you about before we sign off here. Um, I posted a group of New Zealand uh, boys at school doing a haka. I posted two of those. And you commented that you um, were actually at a boarding school where doing haka was quite normal for you. Can we go back to your yeah. school days? Where, where was this and how did you get there? And tell me about your experience with haka. So I ended up breaking into an ex-girlfriend's backyard one day <laughs> with two other friends and they started drinking beer. This is when I was 13. They were drinking beer. I was such a pussy. I wasn't even drinking. I was doing my fucking homework. And then one of those friends who's now a flat earther, he threw a bottle of beer through the neighbor's window and we. she said she's calling the police and we got out of there as quickly as we can but me being the terrible criminal that i was i forgot my book oh at, in her backyard we were just in her backyard swimming uh. fucking 40 degree day let's skip school hannah's got a backyard let's just jump the backyard swim nobody's home these guys found beers smashed the window cops came they found my book yeah. So now I got the cops on my ass. They come to my house. <clears throat> they go, who were the other guys? I didn't give them up. And then uh, my ex, you know, I just broke up with this chick. You know, her parents didn't like me. And they said, my dad, they said they were going to press charges. They were going to press charges against me. <clears throat> and my dad said, please don't press charges against my son. I will send him to boarding school in another country. Oh. You will not have to see him again. Wow. And my, yeah, so that was it. That's why. That's how I ended up there. Wow. And uh, my dad is a, a Maori. He was born in a village, which is very isolated from Western civilization. He's one of like 13 brothers and sisters. 
he was adopted out and grew up basically as a slave working on a farm in his uncle's farm. He was beaten. He was molested. He escaped when he was 15, forged his birth certificate, and then joined the army. So the he, Australia, like Australian army. The New Zealand, New Zealand army. army. Okay, so he, yeah. all of this happened. On, he didn't come from New Zealand to Australia. All of this happened in New Zealand. Yeah, so this all okay. happened. He was born in New Zealand. Born in New and Zealand, look, and yeah. The, the history of New Zealand, it's like they were never properly colonized. They were never no. defeated. They were no. war by people. So yes. in Australia, what happened was they massacred against the Aboriginals who were peaceful. The British get to New Zealand, and they're just warriors. Yes. fucking fierce tribal warriors. Yeah. And they fought and fought and fought and fought and fought until they signed the Treaty of Waitangi. So after the period of Waitangi, my dad gets born, still like grows up in this like shitty environment, but he's very connected to the Maori culture. First okay. language Maori. Yes. You know, first, so he always wanted me to have that Maori culture. Yeah. I went to Hannah's pool. I get sent to New Zealand, which was kind of what my dad really wanted anyway. Now he just has the green light to send me. No police charges. <laughs> You're going to boarding school in New Zealand. How did you That's feel about that when they sent you? Uh, you know, I'm sure it turned out well. I mean, you're the, the you're the wonderful person that you are now. But at that time, when your father says now you're going to have to go to boarding school in New Zealand, how did you feel in that moment? Dude, they had to drag me oh. kicking. How and old screaming. were you? How old were you? Thirteen. Thirteen. Yeah, I was 13, bro. 13 when I went. And I didn't want to go. I hated it. I had my whole life in Australia. I had my friends. I had my BMX. I had everything. Fuck it. I didn't want to go to fucking New Zealand. Man. Fuck that. And uh, as it turned out, they sent me to this old Maori boarding school where you had to be Maori to go there. And all the other kids were in the exact same situation as I was. They were all basically delinquents. Oh. Except except instead of just breaking into their ex-girlfriend's pool to go swimming on a 40-degree day and doing your homework, they had rap sheets like armed <laughs> robbery. The real you know, thing. They were in gangs. Yeah, they real were the criminals. Real thing. They were the real criminals, man. They were legit criminals. And it was a school that is now shut down because there was too much violence there. Uh, they like there was teasing, there was bullying. One day I was like, one day we had like a, a TV common room. Guys ran in, stomped the kid in his sleeping bag next to me, broke his ribs, his leg. They threw wow. another kid off the roof. They was fucked, man. It was just a bunch of Maori criminals. Uh, but we did. We had a lot of culture. The school was a, was a Maori school. It's called Hatotipene, which means St. Stephen's. And we did culture almost every day. We went to church twice a day. We sung all these songs in Māori. That's we beautiful. Māori carvings. We carved bones. We carved canoes. We, we did all kinds of shit in, in Māori, man. So and you, one of the... Pro, yeah, so no, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, please. Nah, and so one of the things that was super important to the Māori culture is, you know, is waiata, is hakas, singing, dancing, and performing. And so then, you know, we, we did hawkers all the time. We did hawkers, you know. Maybe and what a beautiful, I, I, I don't know, what do you call that? Perform, what a ritual, I don't know. But, but to, to, to see that, I can't help it every time I see it. I get the chills all over my body and the tears start falling because it is such a display of, of controlled strength, controlled 
um, spirituality. I don't even know how to describe it, but it's just a, a beautiful thing. It's, I don't know. It's, it's it just is. beautiful. It's, it is. And isn't it true that that was originally a display that they would do before battle? Correct. Oh yeah. 100%. Yeah, yeah. Today, today we call it culture. Back then it was, we're going to scare you, intimidate you, kill you, and then eat you. Yes. So yeah. that's, that's how they rocked it out. Yeah. So it was a, one tribe against another tribe. You do your haka, we'll do our hakas. Okay. Now yeah. it's fucking crap. Yeah. And the, ended up as dinner for the winners yes see that's the real uh, deal that's the real deal so yeah. australia is not where the toughness is it, the toughness is in new zealand <laughs> dude man maoris new zealand they're, they're, they're like something else bro that's just that's a whole nother level of people and you know look I, I kind of joke around because when you have a look at the map of human migration yeah. starting at africa going up throughout Europe, across Asia, into South America, North America, South America. Then they go to Hawaii. Then they go down to New Zealand. Yeah. So they're kind of like the furthest traveled people. Yeah. And, you know, they, man, like, if you know anything about the journey that the Maoris took from Hawaii in canoes, where they went to Samoa, they went to Think Rotonga. about that. In canoes, that distance in canoes. And you you know how big Samoans are? Yeah. The yeah. people in Samoa are the ones that were too sick to continue down to yeah. New Zealand. So the ones that ended up getting to New Zealand were like the ultimate savage of all savages. Man, that's it. And that's the Tari people. It really is amazing. There's a lot of strength in that in that bloodline. Yeah, there is. And there's a lot of like, you know, the, the word that we say in Maori when you're performing the haka is mana. It's, mana. it's like you have pride, you have a, yes. a sense of heritage, lineage, you're doing it for your ancestors. Maoris are very spiritual people. Yeah. You know, yeah. You, 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 you know, they believe in a tradition in honoring yeah. tribe. We still have tribes. I'm a member of a tribe. Everybody yeah. with Maori blood is, is a tribe. Uh, I'll tell you, I'll tell you one, one quick thing, man, about the haka, which was a, a great personal significance to me. So I went to boarding school in New Zealand, finished boarding school, came home many, many, many years go by Christmas, 2019. I fly back to New Zealand because there's a family reunion. I have not been there for 20 years. Yeah. I visit the place where my dad grew up. I'm traveling with like literally a hundred Maori family members. And then we spend New Year's Eve at a place called Amarai, which is like a traditional village house in, in New Zealand. And for the countdown at New Year's Eve, me and the men in my family when it goes five, four, three, two, one, happy new year, then we perform the haka. Ah, yes. Oh, beautiful, man. beautiful. To me, all the men from my family performing the haka underneath the stars, welcoming in the new year. Then that was the most energizing haka that I've done in maybe two decades. Oh man, I can only imagine. I, like I yeah. said, I know I know the feeling I get when I when I'm observing that you know on online. I can only imagine the feeling you get when you're actually doing that in person with you know five, ten, twenty, a hundred others. I'll teach you. 
oh, is are there any rules against that? A, a non New Zealand, a non Maori person learning that? Are there any rules against it? No rules, bro. Okay. So, no, no rules at all, man. All right. <clears throat> Not that, at least, because I, I think, like, my understanding with the Maori culture and everything that I've been exposed to is that Maoris want to share our culture with the world. Like, there's no cultural okay. appropriation. It's like I see. we are a, a minority of people, two, three hundred thousand. That's not not a big amount of people. Right. And if our culture through the haka can get out, if we can share our traditions with people, if oh, they man. are, then it's no problem doing it. It's not. It's not. Well, it's, it's not taboo. Well, I'm down for that. I mean, that's something I could. Uh, oh man, if I could ever learn how to do that, I, I'm I'm down for that. I've been accused. I've been accused of being uh, accused. People have thought, based on my appearance, uh, you know, thick, you know, not really dark, dark, but dark, a little bit darker than normal. People have accused me of being a Pacific Islander. So yeah, I can see it, man. So I can see. You know what we're gonna do? We're gonna do the haka, and then we're gonna give you a face tattoo. Welcome to our tribe. Here's the haka, and now we're going to draw all over your face. <laughs> well, it works for Mike Tyson. <laughs> it might work for me. <laughs> yeah, what could go wrong? Oh. Yeah, look, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm genuine about that. You know? and well, so am I. I, I. I am too. The first time I saw it, I can't remember when it was, but it's been quite some time ago. And every time I see the performance of Hawk, it, 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 it really gets me. There's something spiritual there that I feel. Uh, so if you're in any kind of a position to teach me that, man, let's just make it happen. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I am, man. I am. So, um, I don't know, maybe we could like, uh, get a few people together, get a few, a few guys that, you know, your friends, my friends, anybody that wants to do it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when, when it's, uh, safe or appropriate to meet up yeah. and we want to do a hockey, we spend a few hours and then we like, we go through it. We learn the moves, we learn the words. And, you know, we just scream our heart out, so we bang our chests and, Absolutely. Then, you know, we have some beers or well, when it the day. Well, when it, when it fits, man, when it's safe to do it, man, we got to hang out a little bit. I knew I would like you. I knew I was going to like you. Yeah. I'm so glad we yeah. had this talk. Dude, I'm, I'm really glad that I had this talk, too. Uh, it was very fun talking to you, and, you know, you took me down memory lane, and yeah. it was it was a good time, right? I'm super down to hang out. Yeah, it sounds good. Well, you know, and today you said a lot of things that uh, have motivated me, inspired me, and I'm thinking about some of these things you said as far as, you know, pushing my uh, pushing my brand out there. And um, I give you all respect Push. for the success that you've had so far, man. All respect. I think uh, you're, you are an inspiration to uh, anyone who immigrates to Norway. Absolutely. Uh, thanks a lot, brother. I appreciate you saying that. And for all your listeners out there, the Sunday night fuck up with <laughs> with John Allen's coming out soon. Get it from the play Google Play, the App Store. Hey man, I'm serious. My friend, my friend Tiffany put the thought in my head about that AMSR, ASMR, whatever it's called, and then I just kind of expand it from there about telling you know like a soft porn. Type mm -hmm. of thing. Uh, you want me to get down in the mud? I can do that too. Yeah, but, but, uh, I need you to get dirty. Sixty nine coronas. <laughs> we're, gonna, we're gonna we're gonna be rich, John. I love it. We're I gonna fly it. to New Zealand, talking together, brother. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Hey, man. Thanks again for doing this. Uh, I know you got to run. You got uh, important things to do. Uh, go out there and do them. Do them well. 
and continue Thank to be the person me. you are. Thanks a lot for coming on my podcast. You're welcome. Uh, it was a pleasure being here. Mwah. Ah, back at you. Ania James, everybody. Bye now. Thank you and goodbye.